I don't think it's my computer. I've got 830 gigs of space. So mm, I can send you a screenshot. <laughs> I mean, you are you are my problem child. You know that, right? I mean, he lets you go with this audio tonight. So I'm just like, I can't believe it. You've really pushed him to subpar standard. Like you broke, you broke candy tonight. I'm kind of giving up, to be honest with you. Like I, I just, I just... <laughs> y'all sounded fine to me. I don't see what the problem is. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, here we are again with another Bourbon Community Roundtable. And this one started off pretty tame, but towards the end, we started digging deep. So here's what's on the menu for this one. Two weeks ago, it was announced that Penelope would be acquired by MGP, but more notably, its subsidiary Luxco for $215 million. We all know that this is a great move for the brand, but I posed a question to the group that intrigued me. And that is if we will see more MGP brands be purchased as a result of this. I also followed up with other powerhouse contract distillers. And if we would see them copycat this acquisition in hopes of taking a brand to a new level. That quickly transitioned into the idea that brands can come out of nowhere. One of the most famous or maybe infamous brands of all time was Ezra Brooks, a brand that was created out of nothing but thin air. And since consumers know more now, than they ever have before, could we see another Ezra Brooks emerge in our lifetime? And that tends to go into a few different directions, but I'm not going to ruin it for you. Enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Cole Boozer, a Patreon member who asks us on the Bourbon Pursuit Patreon, if something financially dramatic were to happen and you had to cut back expendable income, spending to only the bourbon in your cabinet, which one would you pick? Uh, Cole, I believe this is like, uh, what's the bourbon you would take on your desert island or your deserted island, or what's the bourbon you could drink only for the rest of your life? I would have to say... You know, you really shouldn't target this question toward me or Kenny or Ryan because we have more bourbon that you can possibly, you can't drink it enough in this lifetime. So uh, if something were to happen to us, we'd be fine. But I'm going to put myself in the position of my 32-year-old self when, um, you know, right before we were about to have our first kid, before I had a name for myself and writing books, and I was struggling, hustling, trying to get trying to get anybody to pick up my stories about bourbon. Yeah, I got a crack into Scientific American, got Parade Magazine to pick it up, and had a regular column and tasting panel, and got one in Whiskey Magazine and Whiskey Advocate. But let me tell you, those were not well-paying jobs. Those were just barely making it through. And so, and while I did get samples, absolutely I did. I got plenty of media samples. Uh, I did not have nearly what I have today. And so, if I'm going back in time to that person... We did have a house bottle. We had a bottle that I picked up every day or whenever we ran out, and it was something that we would we would drink uh, regularly, and that was Henry McKenna tenure. Now, granted, I probably am really well known for screwing that up, 
and my wife makes fun of me for it. I make fun of myself for it. I go into a liquor store and uh, look for a bottle of McKenna, and I ask the store owner if they have a bottle, and they just laugh at me and sometimes tell me to shut the fuck up. And uh, basically, we picked it back-to-back best bourbon at San Francisco World Spirits competition, and you can't find it anymore. So, since I can't uh, pick that one as my house bourbon anymore, as that would buy every single day, uh, it's going to be between probably five uh, bourbons. So, I'm going I'm going to make this easy, easier on myself and say, uh, Cole, that I'm picking five here. So, Rare Breed is definitely going to be in that rotation. Old Forester 1920s in that rotation. Four Rows of Single Barrels in that rotation. And then, you know, when I get to the final two to decide here, I occasionally really get a hankering for uh, the MGP style, MGP style of bourbon. And I think probably the most consistent of that you can find out there is like a regular old smoke wagon small batch. So I'm going to throw that one in there because when I have a craving for MGP, you know, some of the Kentucky bourbons just don't fit that need. And then the last one you can find in every store across the country, most likely, or they're close to it, be Knob Creek nine-year-old. So that would be five that I think we would have in our rotation on a very regular basis. But uh, but yeah, even now, all these years later, I still kind of kick myself for uh, broadcasting the fact that we picked Henry McKenna. That's probably going to go down as one of the big blunders of my career. But, you know, it is what it is. I taste things for a living and I talk about them. And if other people find joy in them and then they take off and go buy them and it ends up um, meaning you can't find them anymore, that's unfortunately the one of the prices I have to pay for having this awesome job. And it sucks. I will, I will tell you, it absolutely does suck because I miss seeing that bottle. <laughs> I miss Henry McKenna. I have issues. And that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like Cole, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and let me know uh, your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. 
One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome, everybody. We are back with another Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this is number 81. We've got everybody here today, and I'm super excited because these are some topics that I came up with very last minute, but I thought they were going to be very relevant to the show, and especially when we start talking about uh, brands, how they're developed, um, and and kind of where, how do you traject and how do you build this? And I think there's going to be a lot of good things, a lot of good ways that we can take this to to find a lot of different angles in here as well. So. We've got everybody here tonight, so I'm glad to see Ryan, Fred, at least the trio's here. So how you doing? Ready to get into tonight's topics and BCR and weekends and fun and bourbon in general? Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Whatever Happy, it is today. Whatever, you know, we usually record on Sunday for this, so I'm like, oh, it's man, I'm excited about this topic because I got... I'm loaded to go with the, uh, you know, this, this uh, I perceive, I assume the Penelope discussion. I mean, there's just so much to talk about, about the deal in general and, and the implications. I'm so pumped about that. Ryan, it is good to see you, my friend. It is great to see you, Fred. You're looking good. Looks like you're fresh off jujitsu or something. You're, you're looking very <laughs> bright and energetic. So, uh. Uh, kudos to you, man. You're looking good. And, he just uh, got he just got choked out. He just woke up from it, <laughs> and nobody can see that on you know on the podcast. But if you're watching YouTube, you should watch this on YouTube as we do this live. So uh, excited as always for these topics with my six best friends and the well, I guess five because I'm not my best friend. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, great to see you all and excited. Uh, Blake's pulling out all the hot stuff tonight. He's got a bunch of pursuit stuff. So. Oh yeah, he's on let's, brand tonight. Let's let's go ahead and just leave it over to Blake because Blake's sitting there just popping all the best bottles that everybody's waiting to drop on Sealbox right now. I don't even have mine. You know, I was just going to announce the official release tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my my bottles came in today, so I have the newest uh, Oak Collection Bourbon, which is four CD. So what what's that going to be? What's else? April twenty three. Uh, there we go. April twenty three. So a little bit of that and then another one we haven't had a single barrel from y'all in a while so pursuit series 057 which has arrived from one bill so um yeah i'm blake from steelbox and bourboner so always happy to be here and always happy to talk pursuit spirit so thanks for having me you didn't try to sneak a barrel or a bottle from breakings over there well that's that's already at the house yeah <laughs> <laughs> to bring that one back with me but um yeah they they also have a bourbon coming that i think everybody's going to be really excited about but yeah they don't have their bottles yet so it felt a little bit uh disingenuous to be drinking it and being like hey eric you know it's really good you'll get yours eventually so. 
so you don't mind you don't mind uh, rubbing it our face, but not theirs. Okay, that's yeah, yeah. exactly. We don't exactly. have it either. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, man, you you were there at you're sending me pictures of the bottling. How do you not have a bottle? I didn't try it. I was making sure you got the most case counts as possible. So put go. more money in your pocket. There we go. <laughs> uh, to be honest, though, I am really jealous of that breaking bourbon barrel because. Ryan, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of wish we would had that one back right now. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we let that go. What the hell was we? Who, who made that decision? I feel like I, I wasn't know. involved. Yeah, it was. We we were able to kind of come together and select that. We were all here in Louisville, and I just grabbed a bunch of stuff. But I mean, Eric, we you all selected that one in 2022, like fall time or something like that. It was a while it, ago. It was October, early October. Yeah, yeah. So, I got part of the jug behind me here. Well, there we go. That's yeah, that, the problem. Is just I've been that, sipping on it since then. No, oh, well, wait till you get another six months in the barrel. I swear to God, that thing's uh, it's it's magical. And that's what I said. I wish we had it back because it's there's a, like we had a few good barrels from that lot, and that was definitely up there. So we're not letting any more of them go. I can tell you that right now. Heck no, I need those in my repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Eric, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Eric from Breaking Bourbon. If you're not familiar with us, uh, we do reviews pretty much every day of the week, release calendar and articles here and there. I, I liked whoever posted it from your team. They said, do you remember this? And it was a screenshot of y'all's website back in oh, yeah. 2014. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just like all the Parkers and just like your reviews and all this other kind yeah. of stuff. And people are going, oh, we had it so good back then. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Oh, for sure. And Brian. All right. Thanks, guys. Brian with uh, Bourbon Justice and Sipping Corn. And not to be out. Well, I am outdone by Blake every every time we do these. But I've got one of the uh, uh, Oak collections going on, too. This is the 11cc. And it's yummy. That's one of the finished ones. So well done, guys. Fantastic. Thank well, you, good Brian. Deal. Appreciate it. Yeah. I, I like this. There's a lot of the PS love going on tonight. I'm not, I'm that, not hating that it. Nice? We're trying to make up for the, you know, Tuesday vibe. We got to fix that a little bit. Yeah. Fred's still on mute because it's conflict of interest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just researching for uh, our conversation, actually. So gonna... I know I'm just messing with you. I'm very, <laughs> I, I've been very, uh, like, combative tonight. Hey, uh, bring it. Let's go. Let's go. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our first topic. So the first one we're going to talk about is Penelope. And this is because, well, I'll just go ahead and read the press release. Go ahead and get it out of the way. So MGP, uh, they have announced that Luxco, its subsidiary, has reached a definitive agreement to acquire 100% of the equity of Penelope Bourbon and its related assets. So founded in 2018, Penelope Bourbon is a family and founder-owned and operated American whiskey company with a diverse portfolio of high-quality whiskeys in the premium plus price tiers. The acquisition includes all intellectual property, and inventory of bottle product, as well as Penelope's aging whiskey inventory on a debt and cash free basis. The upfront consideration is $105 million in cash to be paid at closing, with a further potential earnout contingent consideration upon a maximum cash payout of $110.8 million, measured through December 31st of 2025, if performance conditions are met. The acquisition is expected to be financed by MGP's existing revolving credit facility and cash on hand. So, uh, one thing that we had discussed in this week in Bourbon between Ryan and I is there was some confusion that was going out there and people just thought that Penelope is getting acquired for 105 million. No, 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 no. They're getting acquired for 215 million 
based on performance numbers that are coming out. They get their first check for 105 million in June. So now that that's out of the way, we can all agree that this is a great move for MGP. This is a great move for Penelope. It all just makes sense because they can bring their cost of goods down a lot more and they can, and, and Ryan, I think since people maybe then catch this week in bourbon, can you go ahead and kind of give a review and a refresher of what you kind of learned about the, basically this is only going to cost MGP like $5 million at the end of the day? Yeah, I think like if you look at the, the financials and it, and it makes sense because you're basically taking for anyone that may or may not know in the, you know, MGP, if you're buying it on the, the open market, if you're buying a three or four year old barrel, you're probably paying anywhere from $2,500 to $3,500 a barrel, you know, so in Penelope, because they're, they're in that rapid growth stage, you know, they're, they never really laid down new make. They were always buying aged inventory and, and churning and burning it. They weren't really carrying a ton on their balance sheet. They were just kind of churning and churning barrels. And so they're paying a high premium for those barrels. Um, but so you replace that with, you know, a, say a $300 cost of goods sold because M- MGP is making it themselves. I mean, really they can earn this back very, really quickly. And then, you know, they did the, I think you read the, what they present to the shareholders are like, and within the three to four years, this will only cost them $5 million after they make recoup all that initial investment because they'll, they'll earn so much gross margin back because of the using their own distillate and whatnot. So it's a, it's a great move for both parties. And that's, thank you for putting that out there. And now I've, I've kind of have another question I'll bring up for discussion before we get to the other topic that I thought of is that, do you foresee MGP making any more acquisitions for their own stuff? I'm thinking of things like Smoke Wagon, things like Old Elk. These are companies that are built on brands utilizing MGP, uh, Nashville Barrel Company. So do you think that we could foresee something like this coming in the future where they see this as more of a, a move to bring down those cost of goods and bring in a, a new label in-house? And the reason why they want to do that is because they have yet to be successful on doing their own in-house labels to really kind of take that to mass market and really execute on it well. So I want to kind of put that out there to see if you all think that, do you think it's going to happen? Or do you think at this point they've made one acquisition and now they need to be, they need to kind of like be cash strapped for a little bit until they make another one? I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If, if they did, I think we kind of forget uh, how big MGP is, you know, I think, you know, net income last year was, it was around $200 million, I want to say, and close to a billion in revenue. So we're, we're talking about a massive company. And if they can turn a, like Ryan said, a, a $500 asset into seven to $8,000 in bottle sales, I think it just makes sense. So the hard part is, is I think, Penelope was that first one because they had just grown so quickly. Their case volume was so high. The hard part would be identifying another one like that. I know we mentioned Smoke Wagon. doesn't sound like that will happen. But outside of that, I'm not sure anybody else is doing the same level of uh, cases that or at least solely sourced from MGP than Penelope was. So, you know, I think there's always others out there, but I think Penelope just made the most sense. So I wouldn't be shocked if it works. And then six months down the road, they're like, all right, let's go get every single one and just, you know, grab every, you know, Nulu or natural barrel company or whoever it may be and bring them in house because that's kind of always been the, the knock on MGP and why we thought the Luxco merger was so good was 
you know, they make great products, but they just don't have the brands out there on their shelf that people want to buy. You know, I don't know if Remus is good, but I don't know a ton of people that are just chasing it. So I'd be really surprised if we went another six months without seeing an acquisition. Well, the, the Luxco one is a little weird because they were already doing Kentucky stuff. The only real reason that I've seen MGP have any influence on Luxco is pretty much in their Ezra Rye category. Like that's all uh, Indiana stuff. So that that seems to be kind of a little bit of an outlier there. I would be interested to see what they're thinking in regards of bringing in more brands in-house because they're, I mean, that they have. There's a lot of brands that have been built using MGP and it makes sense for them to start doing this. And I, I want to give a shout out to Sean Garrity that's in the in the chat. He kind of put this out there and he says, it's smarter to let MGP, let them build brands on their own products and then acquire the brands to get that traction because it's it's one of those things. It's, it's a big company move. Like you don't go after, you don't try to go and innovate, right? You go and buy the innovators that are are doing something and then you spend them in, you kind of acquire them and everything like that too. Who else wants to chime in there? Yeah, that's right. You you let the ones fail who are going to fail and you buy the ones who don't. I mean, it's right out of the playbook. One thing that's really interesting about this, you know, Brian, you may recall, I I actually may have called for your advice, but a, few, a couple of years ago, shareholders were suing MGP because they say that they were, you know, miscalculating or misrepresenting the cost of aged whiskey and they were over asking shareholders for for money and uh, i was asked to be uh, an expert witness i declined mgpi is publicly traded just like brown foreman diageo and i just took a look into the shareholders the people who've been buying up a lot of um mgpi one of them vanguard also owns a lot of brown foreman so I think that there is a real this uh, this when when this came out, my first thought was this was to make shareholders happy. This was to make a splash. There's also been uh, rumors that, you know, maybe that they are down some barrels and they need the inventory, you know, which that everyone could use more whiskey. So I, I don't think that's a I think that's a not a rumor. It's probably a fact, you know, so anytime you make one of these acquisitions, it's really nice to get the whiskey and Penelope built a very nice brand uh, to go with. So I, I think that this move was never really about, I don't think it, I think it was about making a splash with shareholders and making a move for the publicly traded dollar, you know, from these fund companies, these uh, mutual fund managers, because that, that is who MGP is beginning to compete with. They're, they're starting to, get those conversations on wall street um the same that cargill get the same that diageo get and you know they're they're taking a step up and this purchase that big check you know it's kind of like paying for a quarterback in the nfl a good brand the way that everything's growing those checks are going to keep getting bigger and i remember when high west was purchased for 160 million you know 10 years ago i mean now that's probably you know that brand it's turned into, you know, that probably was not as good of an investment uh, for Constellation as they wanted it to be. But like, this is a very good mutually aligned acquisition that just screams to me, really going to make the shareholders happy. Yeah. Another fascinating thing, you know, you think 
I was looking at this report. It was just looking at the U.S. competitive landscape and U.S. market share of the different spirits companies. You know, you think MGP is like one of the bigger ones, where in reality, they're only they're less than 1% of the total market. You know, you have Diageo, it's 20%, Bacardi, 8%, Sazerac, 8%, Pernod Ricard, 7%, Bean Suntory, 7%, Brown Foreman, 5%, Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, Tito's, Heaven Hill, Proximo, Campari, EJ Gallo, Remy. Anyways, I'm naming all these that are a lot bigger than MGP. And if MGP is going to start competing as a publicly traded company with those, they got to have brands to build on. You got to hit the on-premise. You got to... What I'm learning is that really brands are scaled. And that's what's going to be the challenge for Penelope as they you know, try to build on this is that they've done the distribution model on off-premise, but how do they find into that where they get on bars and restaurants at that... You know, they have that white label product you know, that's priced in that 35, 40, but that's what takes brands and companies to the next level is that on-premise where you're getting on cocktail bars, you're, and you're constantly steady flow of product moving through restaurants and bars. And so, uh, this is the step where they can try to really hit that, take that next level with them. Well, they have to probably be in the sub 20, sub well, 25 But I think they can do then. that with their, you know, with bringing the brand in house, they can totally do that. You know, but whereas Penelope could probably never done that sourcing, you know, from the the from MGP. So and two, you know, there's other MGP brands that are bigger. You know, I can't get into case sizes, but I know of I know Old Elk's probably bigger than Penelope. I'm not sure on Smoke Wagons. Smoke Wagon, I think Aaron's comfortable with what they're doing. I think, you know, they got a good thing going. I think Penelope was just they I think they were brilliant and they had a game plan of like, this is our goal to get acquired. You don't see that much cash being dumped into the top line revenue unless your goal is to get acquired because you're just, otherwise you're just going to keep burning cash and burning and burning and burning to keep that top line growing. And they were brilliant. They saw the trends that people liked to, with toasted, with Basil Hayden's low proof, with finishing, and they really nailed it. They really had great packaging, great story and whatnot. And they were able to capitalize that. A lot of new bourbon drinkers getting into the market. MGP said, this is a great vehicle that we can just pump our cost of goods in, into their system. Let's see where we can take this. And one thing you got to remember, MGP is built on being a source provider. You know, so they make, you know, a lot of the vodkas that you go into the store and buy, it's actually made by either MGP or Cargill. You know, they've got, we're talking about whiskey, but they do a lot of food alcohol related stuff. So they're just they're they're beyond uh, whiskey. They have been horrible, absolutely horrible at managing a uh, portfolio to serve their own brands. So when they acquired Luxco or the partnership or whatever you want to call it, that was perfect for them. And it was perfect for Luxco because they're you know, they had been cut off from Heaven Hill. Uh, from uh from their source provider and now they you know are perfectly married with with mgp so i think this is a good fit penelope is a hot brand whenever i've given a bad penelope review you know their fans have come after me and that's always a good sign of a, of a healthy brand when you have fans so loyal that they will you know they'll talk up a really bad whiskey just because they're <laughs> just because they they're the fans sports. of the product, you know. Yeah, and and I also think that when I when I look at this to what Ryan's point was is that 
they did kind of chase some trends. They went the toasted route. They went the finished route. They had the the rosé cast, the vino, the Valencia, the the now the new Rio. Like it's not just straight MGP. Whereas you see a lot of straight MGP brands, they're competing on the same level. And so what they did is they tried to kind of up level a little bit and they kind of leapfrogged a lot of these brands and they kind of were able to put themselves in a limelight where they could come out and they've got what, like nine flagship SKUs now that they do. So it's it kind of just goes to show you that instead of just coming out with a, a straight bourbon whiskey, they were able to capitalize on creating a product that is kind of really... I want to say narrow focus, but you know, you, you do some finishing on into it and and now you create a new skew, but you really scale that skew up. It's just not a one-time limited release sort of thing. But for some reason, that that big P on the bottle really resonated with a lot of people and it just really kind of captivated a lot of folks and and really kind of took them, you know. And like I said, a lot of things happen through the whiskey community. I don't know a time when I don't scroll through Facebook and I see people's back bars and I don't see multiple bottles of Penelope back there. So they were able to capitalize on a few different markets and being able to get the whiskey geek in and then continue to kind of infiltrate into the the broader consumer market as well. One last point I have think I have about this. What's you know fascinating when you get in this world and you learn the business side of it is that they grew pretty fast from 2021 to 2022. Like I almost want to say like 25, 30,000 cases to 75,000 cases. And that's what the deal was based on. And, you know, so we're yet to see if that expansion is is the product being pulled through. And a lot of deals are based on that. And that's probably why you see this $200 million carrot dangled at the end of it. It's like, yeah, you were able to scale, get products on the shelf, but let's see if that pull through happens to where then they're re- rewarded at the end. So that's that's one fascinating thing about this. It's it, I love I love this is the stuff that really ex- interests me about this whole industry is or those I guess back end things like working the deals and whatnot. Because people see like, oh, you did seventy five thousand cases. You're like, yeah, it was great, you know, but you, you just put the product down the market. Let's see if it gets pulled through or whatnot. So it's smart for MGP to kind of dangle that carrot for them at the end, also. Yep. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into my second idea that I have oh, for this. I have one more thing on the Penelope thing. If that's uh, we're okay. still staying on Penelope. Oh, okay. All right. In. All right. All right. I want you to go ahead. Chime in. Uh, so, well, I don't know if this is where you're going to go, but this is, you know, we kind of talk about like the deal kind of making sense. I, I want to talk about like the implications it has on, on the industry. This is so bad for the industry. This is great for Penelope. It's great for MGP. But uh, we know so many people that are just seeing these dollar signs and like, oh, my God, I got to get into this. The same way that all these celebrities see that George Clooney made a billion dollars off his tequila. You're you're seeing you're seeing these people, these business folks are like getting in like they have a passion. They're getting this whiskey, the bottle. It's great. They bring in somebody who knows the industry and they're just they love it so much and they think they're going to be able to sell and in five, six years. I mean, I first saw this with, with smooth ambler angels, envy and rabbit hole. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people high West, Kentucky Al, wilderness trail. I mean, everybody, there's been so many of these dollars dropping, but I just don't think, I, I just think it's too late to get in the game now. So if you are somebody like on the fence trying to get into bourbon, if, if you don't have your plan set, 
you're not going to get a hundred million, two hundred million dollars. It's just it's not going to happen. And I think that this this sale is going to create false hope for people out there because there's just it's just not going to happen. I mean, and I've heard I, I talked to a distiller today about like how tired he is of like going through the distributor conversations every time a new sales rep comes in and just like, they're just burnt out, you know, this game and you two, Ryan and Kenny, you know, it better than anybody on this call, except maybe Blake, because you all have brands and you're out there talking about them, hustling about them all the time. And you've put your livelihood, you put your, your life on the lines with these, like your actual, you know, financial everything in them. And, and I just, I just look at this as like, man, if the wrong people see this, more brands are going to come in. It's going to water everything else down. And I, I think the implications for the sale of this is, is not good. Well, I don't know if it's the, the sale. It's not good. I, I think we are going to see some more in the future. There's a few different ways to kind of take that uh, the way that I see it, but you know, I, it kind of spins me off into the, the other topic that I wanted to bring up with this is that could you see more brands or do, is there value in the brand versus just having a value in owning the distillery? You brought up Wilderness Trail. Wilderness Trail is a great example of Campari buying maybe a little bit of the brand, but they also had this massive distillery behind it. And so that can start pumping out more product for potentially even more brands or offshoots or helping out wild turkey or whatever it's going to be. And so there was value in actually having the, uh, the physical location that could help build that out. The, the other part about this is like, this has been one of the, uh, you know, handful of times where we see a brand get purchased that doesn't own a distillery and it is coming from the, the source of it. And so I look at this and I think, okay, well, who else is building out big distilleries? Bardstown Bourbon Company. Uh, you've got some other ones coming online, some other people that we talk about in other different states that are just big contract players. Could we see them take another page out of this playbook and say, gosh, there is, there's something here because we can lower the cost of goods. We could eventually build this brand up to be bigger than what it is right now. So I kind of want to put that out there to you all. Uh, and the other thing, uh, Fred, you had just kind of talked about, like, you know, is this, is this good for the industry? I also kind of see this, this flipping at some point too, because right now MGP is the big player in the sourced market game. When you have a lot of barrels on the open market at a decent price, at good whiskey. It is coming from MGP. However, Ryan and I, and I know a few other Blake as well, we see the the barrels on the open market and we get to see those price books, you know, every few weeks and prices are starting to come down when it comes to Kentucky source stuff. Uh, the idea that people were going to go into this gold rush of trying to buy a bunch of barrels for an investment purpose and sit on them and hoping they're going to cash out them at four to five years old between four and $5,000. That might not happen so much as as, as quick as they had hoped. Uh, I think the the people understand that you can you can hold this out uh, a little bit longer, and I think the prices are going to continue to drop. But we will start seeing more brands being built on Bardstown Bourbon Company juice. Uh, there's some that are already doing it. So can we see this happen in the future, where a brand is more valuable 
than just having the the physical assets of having a, a location and a still and the traditional DSP process, I guess you could say. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Can we see this happen in the future where a brand is more valuable than just having the the physical assets of having a, a location and a still and the traditional DSP process, I guess you could say. I think Kenny makes a good point because up until, you know, Penelope, we had seen deals being done based on really production. You know, if we look at it, the case count for Wilderness Trail and Green River and Bardstown, those were done almost solely on their production capacity. Whereas this was the complete opposite. You know, this was more like that high West style of a deal. So I, I think there's just room out there for all of it. Uh, you know, there's no perfect way to create a brand. There's no perfect way in, you know, kind of to Fred's point, I think a lot of people may have missed the boat. And if you're not doing it for the right reasons anyway, you're going to burn out really quickly because it is a, a fairly tough industry. But if you want to get in, I also do consulting, you know, a thousand bucks an hour. All <laughs> but I think, and, and somebody put it in chat as well, it's just like all the hedge funds and Kenny mentioned people buying barrels and holding them for investment. There have to be brands that support those barrels and you have to have those connections. So as more and more distillation capacity comes online, it'll just be interesting to see if we do hit that glut. You know, obviously at some point, supply is going to outpace demand. Is that in two years? Is it in 10 years? Is it in 20 years? It's, it's just, it's too hard to tell. I think the, the fascinating thing is those investor barrels. It's like, you know, they, like you said, they are looking on those for returns in four, five years. Do, do they all of a sudden, instead of, you know, looking for the return in four to five years, do they start looking at acquiring a company to, instead of selling those barrels on an open market, 
do they look to a brand to capitalize on their invest or help to look for a brand to help get them a return on that investment? Do they acquire someone like a Nashville barrel company who, you know, relies on not just MGP, but other source markets or, you know, a brand that could really capitalize on having a good steady stream of uh, good quality source barrels. Is that how they find their exit instead of flipping barrels on the the source market? So it's going to be fascinating because there's, there's going to be a lot. And I still think the demand, I do agree with Fred. If you're, you're the wrong type of person, don't know what you're doing in the industry, you know, no longer can you just get a brand and start getting traction. You know, it's like, hell, even we go into a distributor meeting and they're like, let me guess, you, uh, you're sourcing from MGP. And you're like, no, we're not. And they're like, oh, thank God. You know, it's like, because that's what seems to be the playbook. And, uh, but uh, I, I think still, if you have the right people behind you, the right, there's still a thirst for exciting new things if you have a different angle. But um, I, I do fear that they see this kind of like, I think the contract facilities have benefited from, the most when high West and Kentucky Allen, and all them sold and angels envy. But now it's like, does, you know, seeing Penelope, does that increase more interest in contract distilling? Cause people will see this kind of like shiny prize with Penelope. I don't know. It's a fascinating time. I think it's kind of, it's going to be a little bit like turning the, the ocean liner. I mean, it's, we're not maybe, maybe we're predicting things now, but it's not going to happen for several years. I mean, the, the people, the investors who aren't getting, the return that they thought now that their whiskey is turning four years old, you know, they'll let it ride for six. You'll have more people come in. You know, we're still waiting on other markets to to open up. Maybe that loosens things up. But if none of that happens, we're, I mean, we're running straight toward a glut. MGP, I, th- I feel, is very proud of their own product. So I, I can't really see them purchasing other distilleries so much. So, and if they're not worried about volume per se, I think they're they're constantly going to be on the lookout for niche brands that offer something that using their own bourbon or you know or own whiskey offering something kind of like what what they why they bought Penelope. So if you look at some of the other brands like we brought up before, like Old Elk, you know maybe that's because you know they they look to them for the distillery experience that the whole thing that they have going on out there, or um, you know some of the other brands. That might be what they're going to gravitate to in the future. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think what this has proven is that there is value in a brand name. And I, this is one I think is probably the the most notable of recent times only because we have, we have seen in the past few years, a lot of acquisitions. And most of those are based on people that have distilling capacity. And this is one that's truly built off a brand. And the one that I like about it so much is that this is in a premium plus category. Uh, most of their bottles are, you know, their their architect, their finished stuff. I mean, you're looking between sixty five to ninety dollars for a lot of the things that they're doing, and they're at that price category because of what it takes to buy whiskey on an open market, do their process to it, and and get it out to market, then to be able to make their margin. And now that they can basically continue to keep those margins there from MGP it makes a whole lot of sense for them. I, I, I'm i sorry to hear from the consumer if you're like, oh, well, this is great because now it's going to be cheaper. That's not happening, right? I mean, that's that's the that's the last thing that you're going to see that's happened. This is going to be one thing that they look at it as like, well, people are already buying it for $80. We're going to keep selling it for $80. And who knows what this whole, you know, not to 
switch pivot or anything like that, but the whole white oak barrel shortage, whatever looming thing over the next 20 years. And they're going like, well, we can use that as another excuse to raise prices one more time. So there's uh, there's a lot of good things that we'll see on the horizon. But I want to open up for the, the roundtable if there's any more last comments before we jump into the next topic. My my only thought is it was brought up with the um, with the bar, like getting it on premise more. I think that is the flaw to to Penelope is that they are not a very their bottles are often too tall for 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 some back bars to be in a certain spot. It is slender. I don't know. And if you take a look at MGP's bottles, I don't know how well they they line up it's just the total package you know like they 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 use different closures they use different bottles they have a very different etch design so that's something that could pose as a risk to MGP is the package itself you know so i don't know if they're going to rebrand it if that's a conversation they're going to have but most of MGP's products are are, are not in nearly as good of a bottle as what Penelope is. And I think that if they change that bottle too much, maybe if they can make it you know, shorter, but they, if they change that design, they will kill the brand. Yeah, I agree. Not just a comment on a glut. I don't think there's a glut. I think just consumers are more choosy and more educated. You have a lot of new consumers entering the market, trying different things. There's a lot thrown at them in the past three to four years you know, a different skews, this and that. But the ones that are good and stand out, I think that there's going to be plenty of demand for them. It's just you can't throw your name on a bottle anymore and expect success like people th- did during 2019 to 2021. But I think there's still plenty of room for good quality brands, have good stories, good product on the shelf, and, uh, you know, good distribution and whatnot. So that's my thought. Unless you just use Ombra on a barrel. And all your your name Ron, you're doomed. And so. you <laughs> got to figure out. Do my motto, Here we go. You got one foot in the grave if you're already doing that. Unless you mix it with honey and you call it a Brazilian name, then you're fine. And then you'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Penelope figured that one out. That's right. Tastes but, like a cinnamon roll. Yes. I mean, you know us on this show. If you listen to This Week in Bourbon, we are... We're not the biggest Amberana fans, but it's it is a certain taste profile for certain people. And maybe just during Christmas for me, but that's about it. You all ready to move on? Well, let's go ahead and do it. So this is going to be kind of a dovetailing into what Ryan talked about in regards of brands and where they come out of nowhere. And this kind of like I had this thought, it was a few weeks ago, and I just thought to myself, you know, we look at a brand back in history of what Ezra Brooks was, and I know Fred could probably give a lot more clarity and color on this as well, but Ezra Brooks was not a real person. It was a fictitious name, came out of nowhere, and they were really going out to compete against Jack Daniels. They had a lot of uh, infringements and trademarks and bottle designs and everything like that, but it was really just a way for them to come out of the gate, this kind of phantom brand, and be able to piggyback off of something else. And so I started thinking to myself, and I go, could something like that happen today? Today, as Ryan said, consumers are more educated than they have ever been before. And a lot of people want to hear a story. And so if you come out with a brand of a fictitious name, a fictitious story, and it was just, I mean, it was all BS, literally everything from top to bottom. And let's say you even went even further and you said, 
this brand received double quadruple platinum gold at some random made up fictitious international spirits competition and you put that out there will people believe it like is this something that could potentially happen today and could people fall for it so i kind of want to put that out to you all and say like are, are consumers they just they're so numb like they don't care all they see is like 99 points by uh you know fred minnick with three ins in his name because you know he can't sue over that one right but it's one of those things that i don't I just, know brian can i <laughs> i'll take that case yeah okay well let's let's pick pick some other fake author like literally you can name anything out there and just put it on a shelf talker and would it sell would this capture the attention of people i'll, I'll put it out there can you are you trying to get me in trouble tonight because <laughs> there was a topic earlier that we were discussing amongst ourselves and i don't know if <laughs> this is how it, this- <laughs> Ryan, this is how Kenny is. He gets he gets that proprietary information, right? And he uses it on us later when we're not suspecting. But I'm going to jump in and say, like, look, if somebody can add an extra L to barrel and, you know, completely redefine how we how we even, you know, how we change our word processing and, and everything to write about it. I mean. When they came out, I thought this was the lamest name ever. And he, and I remember talking to Joe. He's like, yeah, we just didn't want to have a story. But you got an extra L on barrel. And I mean, they it's worked out just fine for them. And I got to tell you, they are, they are one of the best competition products out there, period. I mean, I feel like, you know, they don't make a lot of claims like we're the most awarded or whatever. But I would say that if you take a look at in, in the competitions that Barrel competes in, that they have a high win rate over the other brands. But they don't make those kinds of claims. But but Barrel also kind of has a story now, though, right? Like they they blend and bottle at cash strength. Like that was their kind of shtick, right? I'm I'm kind of thinking of I don't know. Let's let's take our middle names between us three, put them on a label, call it 86 proof. And put it out there with a bunch of fake awards and accolades. And as somebody else here in the chat said, like uh, Matthew Layton says, if we can get it written up in Gear Patrol, then who knows? Like maybe we got something. Will Larceny sue me if my middle name is Larson and I put Larson Bourbon? I, I think we got something there. I think I could be onto something. But I mean, I think as much as this group and everybody listening to this would probably say, like, of course that wouldn't work. It would. Like, I, I just think. You know, the majority of consumers, they, they don't dig enough. They want something cool and something they connect with and a story they can relate to their friends. And, you know, in general, nobody's doing all the, the research and the hard work and figuring out, like, is this a true story? So I have no doubt that something like that could play out today. And at the end of the day, it's like, is that the worst thing? I don't think so. Like, is it good? Like, you know, if I tell somebody a fake story about, you know, it's my granddad's recipe that we found in the basement and I sourced it from MGP, but it's really good bourbon, like not something I'm going to do, but, you know, as long as it's good and not extremely overpriced, I, I think that's fine. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure we'll see 10 more Ezra Brooks over the next 10 to 15 years. So, Yeah, I, we see it to some extent, not, not to the extent that the guy who started Ezra Brooks did, Frank Silverman, but 
he's he went beyond you had the exact same bottle all those sorts of things but you see pieces of it you see bottles that look like popular brands you see names that are somewhat similar to uh to popular brands and when you do that the you know evan williams had to sue um another brand that tried to use williams in the name and had a similar bottle so you you see that coming out and i think you're going to continue to see it and brands want to get as close as they can to the to the line of of not infringing or infringing and not getting held responsible for it i mean it's just it's one of the ways to market it's one of the ways to try to get people's attention I mean, it's an easy one of the easy ones to point at was uh, Orphan Barrel over the last ten years. There were, you know, believe if you want to, but it seemed you know, a lot of uh, big made up story. But boy, do labels sell bourbon because they were all gorgeous labels and they sold, and some of them were really good, you know, the bourbon, uh, and others were just really so so, you know. And and they just released another one, but I'm not sure if anybody's even realizes any it anymore. Well, the other thing that they had the going for them was some high age statements. I think that's what sold a lot of it. A lot of it was what, 17, 18, 19, 20 years, which is great. And I think that's anytime you have a high age statement on something, it's fantastic. And that kind of, there is a, there is a great, everybody kind of knows Skew from Skew's Recent Eats on, on Twitter. He's, he was really big into whiskey for a while and he kind of fell off, but he had a great idea one day and he goes, if I ever start a brand. I'm just going to call it 15 here. It's not that I'm a 15 year bourbon. It's just, it's going to say 15 here on the label. And you look at that and you're like, that's, that's a fantastic idea because I think consumers are naive enough to just like n- look right past it. Like it's a non-age stated whiskey called 15 year. And so we could see something like that potentially come across the future too. But that's, that's absolute deception and with intent. So was Ezra Brooks. Like, yeah, but that's not an age statement. Like, yeah, that, I mean, that's when you're stating an age, that's actually regulated. Um, And I, I have no doubt that that they would get a class action on that. No doubt. We don't know until you try it. From 10 year to 10 star or. I mean, and and those, those suits have came and people have lost. Uh, So those, those have happened. Yeah. Um, and they've had to change it, but, and, and sometimes they win, but, uh, you know, I, I've been looking around my office trying to find a, a kind of fictitious, uh, name and I haven't really, everything seems that, you know, from something like three chord to fistful, steel box, um, yes, yeah, tomfoolery, you know, they all have a, they all have like a. There's like some a story. story behind it. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's some story, story. and that, that's that's kind of where I was looking at it is like, just could the idea of Ezra ever pop up again? Where it's it's some brand you don't know what it is, you don't know where it comes from. It's got a name. Uh, it's got a decent price point. I mean, Frank August is kind of that. I mean, it's, it's true. You know, it's it's not a made up name because I think Frank is the names are somebody. I know. No, August is around like be frank, like be you know genuine essentially. Yeah, and then August is like a son of one of the owners, but uh, they were so thoughtful and and all that. I mean, I sat through their presentation; it was very impressive, like how much thought went into creating that glass and their market and their photos. I mean, if there wasn't a story to it, they made a story about not having a story. (laughs) 
It is great packaging and great whiskey and everything. It's just, you were just saying, what are those names that really, because I don't think it was actually a person. It was just like two names they put together and they're doing very well. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think just people care is it, they just wonder if it's toasted or not. I don't know. You know, that's, it's, they don't care who's on the name. I don't know. We'll see like with this whole Mary and Eve's press release. I don't know why it's bothering me so much, but you know, it's like, she's coming out with this brand that, you know, supposedly it's five and a half years old. Supposedly it's her first or talking about how she distilled it and aged it and bottled at Bardstown bourbon company. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, five and a half years ago, you were at Castle and Key. So what am, am I just like, what am I missing here? <laughs> it's like, if we gotten that too far, like where no way just cares, but I guess, I don't know. I'm sure there's an explanation, but uh, I, that just kind of. Well, it was, it was distilled at Bardstown bourbon company is what it said in the press. Yeah, release. but it says she distilled it. I think well, it says she, it, yeah. there's nobody, nobody distills anything at Bardstown bourbon company, except the employees at Bardstown bourbon company. Like we should probably set that record straight. Okay, then don't say it on your press release. <laughs> well, I'm just that's, that's what that's that's the that's the grand mystery in all this is like you can say that. Yeah, chicken cock does that. I mean, that's people use those facilities and use their mash bill. Well, okay, sure, that's know. fine. But she was at Castle and Key when this was made. So you're telling me she while she's at Castle and Key, she had Steve Nally make up this mash bill for her. I don't know. It just it, the math doesn't, doesn't work out. You're right. I mean, it's it's an Ezra Brooks example. I mean, I, I think that's right. And there's and Jacob Jacob who does that coming whiskey did that or posted that re, rebuild or I don't even know how it's pronounced, but it looks exactly like Rebel. Um, you know, <laughs> people are people are trying to mimic other brands. They're trying to you know making up stories along the way, and they've always done it in bourbon. I mean, nothing should surprise us. I know. I just get frustrated because we try so hard to be authentic and tell the true story that stuff like this happened. It doesn't matter. So whatever, we should just toast <laughs> it, amber on it, honey it, and tell them I distilled it because I went to moonshine university for five days. There we go. <laughs> distiller. Ryan there we go. Matthew distiller. Oh, that's right. Hitting the mic drop right there, man. Well, I oh. mean, you know, I think, I think when it comes to all, all of this stuff, like, so Ryan, are you, are you speaking at this from your heart as like, as a, as as a whiskey fan here or more as like a brand owner when it I think comes to this. both yeah i think i think both it's like i think it's just gone too far where it's like we've i, I it, it's like marion you're a great blender you're a great taster like you don't need to like i and there there's probably a better explanation is but for when reading that i'm just like wait a minute this just doesn't add up it seems like they're trying to stretch it to make it this more romantic thing than it doesn't need to be like, I guess that's, that's, it just comes off inauthentic. It's like, okay, how, how far have we come where we're just like making up all these stories that people don't even care, I guess. I think, I think Marianne has an enormous fan base and has, and people do care. I think they do like those details and she may have moonlighted over there. I mean, I haven't asked her, but I, yeah, it, then, that, that may be very well the case. I, I but I, but I also, when it comes to that HR thing, you know, I'd always be very cautious of like making sure the timeline matches up, right? Because you don't want that phone call coming in from uh, from a Brian like person, like so. Uh, <laughs> we see that you said you were doing this at this time when you were supposed to be here. We took took a look at our records, and uh, yeah, you had a long lunch break that day. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it must have been a long, must have been a three day mash. But you know, I think I think uh, there will be nothing more egregious in this day than in whiskey than when Templeton was taking Indiana rye in 2007 to 2009 and bottling it and saying it was from Templeton, Iowa. You know, <laughs> I mean, they were like in 50 states and they had a still this big and like a barn. Oh yeah, this is all recipe and uh, and uh, Al Capone drank it and yeah, no, nothing will be more egregious than that in terms of uh, they were adding things to it. So yeah, I mean, and then they were know, adding like, stuff to it. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a lot like the finish category. So you know, it's all come full circle. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Ryan's on fire tonight. Who said basically people are dying to have flavored whiskey by not calling it flavored whiskey or without calling it flavored whiskey. It's it's not too far from the truth. That's right. Yeah. Well, we should probably go ahead in this conversation before yeah, all, the, all the Swifties of Marion Eves come after us because we're we're. I, I don't know. I don't think it'll be anything of that point. I mean, I think Marianne would probably love to come on and just talk about it. Yeah, I'm just curious. It's just like okay, I'm trying to add it up. So I'm sure there's a good explanation. I just you read a press release like that and you're like, okay, well. It doesn't match up. So that's, I'm not like saying they're lying. I just want an explanation. It's a fair question, I think. I got to read the press release. Well, it just means that Ryan and I, when we when we have our distillation days at Bardstown Bourbon Company, we just need to be present. I don't even think we need to be present in the building. We just need to do a better job at selling the story that Ryan Cecil distilled, aged, blended, and bottled this at Bardstown Bourbon Company. After only spending five days in Moonshine U, I mean, if that doesn't scream, like I'm a kid that's a, a junior in high school and I just went to college, like that's like that's what it is right there. I got a big whiff of CO2 out of that fermentation tank and it really made the difference. And now I'm the, the liquid advisor for, <laughs> you know, instead of Steve Nally being it, I'm the, anyways. No, I, I think there's, it, you're right. I mean, when we look at this, there is there is romanticism that happens inside of whiskey, and there's a lot of storytelling that goes on. And everything is there's a so much how you can twist words to make it sound in your favor, especially when you look at press releases. You look at what people say, you look at how things are made or not made or brought in or just transformed on your own process and you you put some fancy words next to it. This is running rampant right now, and I think this is one thing that we will kind of see. I mean, this is it is kind of like a modern day Ezra Brooks, where we see people that are, and it's not just I'm not pointing fingers at one person here, but this is running rampant between a lot of different people where they are they are doing a lot of this sort of stuff, where they are bringing in products and maybe making one small change to it and calling it their own. But is it is it really something that that is deserving of the accolades that they do get? Um, and so I guess it's going to be time that'll tell whether we see that, that kind of play out, but this is one thing that I think we, we all of us here, we got to understand we're one percenters of bourbon, but we don't do enough of making people that, that listen to this challenge that as well. A lot of us just kind of take it like you read it at face value, but instead you don't dig in and read between the lines to figure out, is this actually authentic? And I think. I hope that we all kind of continue to challenge that as we go forward, because if we don't, then all it does is just continue to spread and then it becomes into the mainstream and 
and so on and so forth. And then it gets picked up by gear patrol and tasting table and whatever kind of, you know, then next thing you are is a flavored tequila under George Clooney that everybody thinks is healthy and the best thing ever. And that's, I don't want bourbon to be that. I know that's great for companies that own it, but that's not what I grew up on. That's not what built our state. That's not what built our industry. And I just, I'm tired of it. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's fair. And look, I, I want to say, I, I just, I just read the press release. Probably that, that little section definitely could have been worded better, but I, I, I think Marianne is actually someone who has the bourbon chops and, you know, she's got, she's been there, done that. She's done a lot on a lot of brands and consulted on a lot of things that, you know, that aren't even public. So I, I hope that this brand does well and it's already, it's all, we're already talking about it. So that is always a good sign, you know, but uh, I, I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, Kenny, what you were saying about what what were you saying? It was like, uh, you know, Ezra Brooks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, we were just talking about like the transparency or calling things out or or whatever. I, I think I think there's probably about consumers need to hold people accountable. Yeah, fair. We 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 talked about this on one of our last podcasts when we talked about the finishing category, just because. There is so many bad actors out there that are just adding flavor packets, adding gallons of port, adding whatever, and just blending it and putting it out to market that a lot of the consumers do not put forth the the effort to make sure that they're holding the brands accountable. They're not asking the hard questions. And, and that's the that's the detrimental part about that particular category is that it just leads itself open to a bunch of bad actors. Yeah. I, and I don't think that there's many more egregious things than that exact thing happening in, in whiskey right now. The, the barrel finishing category is out of control. It's out of control and there are things added, but also fermentation, you know, no one ever talks about the multiple amount of enzymes that go into a lot of fermenters. It doesn't even come up. doesn't even re very rarely registers on the TTB radar. I mean, there's so much stuff happening to Pete, what people are putting in their body. They don't even know, but, and, and there's so little that we can do because it, it falls under the, the trade, you know, protected trade that they don't have to disclose. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of shit happening out there. Well, we don't know what half the stuff is in the hamburgers we eat through the drive through anyway. So I guess it all, all comes full circle. Definitely a rat hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lesson of the day is don't have caffeine after two. It makes you very combative. And that's, uh, I, I, I'm not like trying to, uh, poke the bear or instigate. It's just, I don't know. It's, I'm passionate about the integrity of what we do and whatnot. And I'm not saying that Marianne's not doing that. That just threw me off guard today. And so I'm like, Oh, it just, and it's like coming off a lot of stuff we just talked about. So I'm sure there's, everything's fine and great. And yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and end it again for the, before people start bringing out the pitchforks at us and, and all of a sudden start boycotting Cecil just because of what he said there. So uh, I want to say thank you everybody that kind of tuned in to, or kind of, well, you did tune in, but this is, this is again, what uh, we had a pretty good uh, run with it until the end there. It got a little dicey, but you know, it's, that's, that's Cecil for you. He brings the hot takes and it's always good to have. But I want to go ahead and let the guys at the bottom here give their sign off. So, Blake, you go ahead and do it first since you've got terrible audio quality. <laughs>
Uh, no, Blake from Steelbox, thanks for having me. Always a fun topic, so good to get in here and debate those a little bit. And yeah, another good roundtable. Thanks, guys. For sure. And Brian. All right, Brian with Sipping Corn and Bourbon Justice. Thanks for having me. And and Ryan, I got your back on this. At least my attorney believes in me. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got one person with you. You got your back there. That's right. And Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, it was a great, uh, great discussion, good topics. And uh, I guess I'll see you guys another three months. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Well, good deal. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, everybody that tuned in live that were able to that was able to do this. If you want to join in live next time, you need to pay attention to Instagram about two hours before it does go online, or you need to be able to be on Patreon or something like that, or follow these guys down here because we're all tweeting about it or talking about it. But I promise I'll give a better heads up next time. This is just one of those things that got a lot of stuff going on and try to cram it all in in a, a short week. But make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit. If you like the show, share it with a friend, talk about it, just have them listen to it. I think one of the coolest things that we're able to do is I've, I've had a few new people that have signed on and listened because they've heard about or they found out about Bourbon Pursuit either through a tasting of Pursuit United or found about it from a, a whiskey festival recently. So welcome to those folks that are chiming in and listening to this. This is fantastic to be able to hear. And as well, also go follow our friend Fred Minnick over at fredminnick.com and Fred Minnick on YouTube and all that other good stuff too. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>